You're listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast. My name is John Jacob. Podcast 33 previews the London Handel Festival, a near month-long celebration of the music of Georg Friedrich Handel in various locations across London, including Handel House and the Royal Opera House Lindbury Theatre. More details about concert dates and times are to be found on the London Handel Festival website. Late in February, I joined conductor and Handel scholar Bridget Cunningham and London Handel Festival director Samir Savant at St John Smith Square, where we recorded our conversation from the stage in front of an empty auditorium, what was a mildly intimidating experience because of the empty auditorium just so that we're clear. I should warn you, in addition to there being one or two pops and rumbles in this episode, perhaps the most important thing that you need to be aware of is that I'm not a massive fan of Handel, which is why I think talking about him with two people who are, as you would expect, very pro-Handel is both a fascinating and informative experience, if not for you then definitely for me. In this episode you'll hear us talk about Handel the composer, why he supported new singers, he discovered in London and handled a fundraiser. And of course, there's a preview of some of the events at this year's festival. Um, I I was thinking about why I find Handel difficult. So I know this seems like a really odd approach, given that you're both here to promote the London Handel Festival. But I find Handel quite dull. Oh, uh, and and the, and the reason for that is not... It's not because I think it is dull, it's just that I think that he is a musical blind spot for me in that I recognise a lot of his music and I recognise his musical language but I know nothing about him or I, I think I know nothing about him. Does that make sense? Do you recognise... I, I wonder whether I've lost the room already. No, no, I, it totally makes sense to me and all I would say is come to the London Handel Festival. OK, well, um, you were bound to say <laughs> Yes, no, but because it's not just about Handel's music but all these stories about his life in London. I mean, we really owe him a massive debt. I've just written the About Handel section for our new website so it's very much foremost in my head and I, start, I, I ended up by saying, you know, he left us this amazing legacy of music, of course, but it's everything else he did his philanthropy he he basically coined the idea of a fundraising concert and everyone does fundraising concerts now and often they're handle um, and the fact that handle is so universal i mean if you look at any you know you, you google flash mob um classical music on youtube and nine times out of ten it's handle it's Zadok the priest or the hallelujah chorus i think that's where that where my assumption around Handel stems from because it is so popular and accessible and and the reason that people use it for I think for fundraising events is because it is a relatively straightforward some of it is relatively straightforward mm. to perform and so it's a collaborative participatory thing uh, and therefore you hear it quite a lot and yes. so I wonder yes, whether it's it whether the repertoire suffers the same thing as Mozart's repertoire does. Well I think we've got to remember that Handel had an amazing memory for melodies and he reused a lot through his career um, and, and so you'll find in different works the same melodies and as you were saying you find some of them are used in, in you know, very pop, you know, in popular situations but if you put them in the context with the, with the harmonies and the stories behind it, it, it really is breathtaking. He, 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 you know, he, he was incredible and an impresario as well. He was the master of reinvention, not only in his music, but in his career as well. 
When did you first... I t- I've, tried, I've approached this question already and I don't think I've got the answer I was hoping for. When did you first hear Handel? What captivated you? When I... St- I actually trained as a violinist when I was very young and I played some of the violin um, sonatas and they, they were exquisite. I was also brought up through the church, um, through the, the Catholic Church, and I would hear you know, the music for Mass and often you know, Messiah and the Sacred Works were performed there. So that was a very good medium as a child to hear good quality music. And what did you, what was it about that exquisite music that moved you? How did it touch you? It's very internal. Um, it, it can make you feel joy, you know, the, the different emotions that it's supposed to. You know, as, as Handel said, he doesn't want music just to make you feel better. He wants it, he wants it to take you to a, d- a different place. He was a- Am I right in saying well, he was essentially a migrant? He was here he on, was. The, on the grace of favour of, yes. of yes. yeah, the he king. Yes, he was naturalised as a British citizen by Act of Parliament in 1727. He then went on to write the four coronation anthems, and Zadok the Priest has been performed at every single coronation since. Yes. So he is recognised. You know What I love about mm. Handel, and you're right to make the analogy to Mozart, and a lot of people do, is he works on many different levels. So you've got the incredibly complex writing in his operas, with coliatura roles for you know bravura singers, um, Italian text as well, complicated plots, and yet he absolutely makes it work. And then you've got the simplicity, as Bridget says, of some of the melodies, which everyone knows. You know that you you should be able to a bit like in Verdi's time, you should be able to leave a Handel concert and be humming some of the tunes because they're so memorable. Yes. Now that I'm I'm really get if I didn't offend you with the opening question, then I'm definitely going to offend you with this arrangement, which I'm not going to play. But I need to show it to you on Spotify because I can't pronounce it. Um, I didn't get rid of that. So. There, can you pronounce that for me, please? It's very famous. You will recognise well, it. Lascia Cure Pianga from so, Ronaldo. So I th- when I hear that, I, he- I was introduced to that. This is going to be hugely embarrassing, but I'm prepared to do it. Um, I was introduced to that by my partner, who I met 20 years ago, via a Barbara Streisand album, <laughs> which she had okay. recorded a, v- a variety of, of classics. Lascia Cure Pianga it's a terrible recording let's just be absolutely clear it's awful but there is something about the melody that is for all i've said about Handel already. There's something uh, riven with melancholy and and sort of anguish. Yes, it was originally... Ha, am I, do I hear that correctly? Mm. Yes, I think so. It was originally written for one of his, his first oratorio in, in Italy from Il Trionfo del Tempo e del Disingano and it had different text, Lascio um, Aspina, and so it had different meaning, but... Uh, that in, in Ronaldo it was used and, and really means let me weep and I think you can really feel that in the music at that point in the opera Alma Morena has been captured hasn't she and she, she's, she thinks all is lost she thinks her partner's lost it's absolutely devastation
So actually, I, I am hearing that correctly. I didn't know any of that at all. Okay, okay. And, and that, that's the, the, the simplicity, if you like, of Handel, the beauty of Handel, because the, it's transparent. The fact that you did not know what the Italian words meant, and yet the meaning of that was, I think, a, you know, th- this is why often younger people are transfixed, you know, even school children transfixed by mm. Handel, because mm. I think the meaning is so transparent, and he's so clever at matching the words to the music. That makes um, me... Um, oh, yeah. sorry, go on, you. No, so, uh, I was to, to add to you, modern, you know, modern audiences, I think, are very attracted to Handel because he breaks boundaries, he crosses boundaries, Boundaries. Mm-hmm. He, you know, I mean, that's why we all do it as 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 a way of communication. He wrote for the Catholics. He wrote for the Anglicans. He wrote for the Calvinist mm-hmm. Church. He was very liberal, and there's always something that you can find in a, an affiliation with or a personal connection. It makes me think of the parallels with Purcell. So when you talk, when you were providing me with the the text for that, let me weep. Mm. Uh, yes. That makes me think of Purcell. And Dido's Lament. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely yeah. Yes. Well, it's a similar situation, you know, a heroine that is facing trauma, trauma or some yes. important but more than, change. But more the musical representation of the story that's going on. Mm. That's, that's uh, obviously that the parallel. The word painting is... Yeah, yes, exactly, the word painting, yeah. Sublime, absolutely. And that particular piece is has been used for years on the Harrods Christmas yeah, advert. Yes, Has it really? So, yes, so many oh. adverts have Handel in, you know, in snippets, you know, and you, Handel is always around us. Um, but, you know, people don't join up the dots, which is kind of what we're trying to do with the London Handel Festival. Right. Uh, how are you doing that? Well, um, without... <laughs> Meaning to, you know, I'm, I'm going to do a pitch here. Yeah, you know, well, the, that is the reason for the, this. The London Handel <laughs> it's Festival. Okay. The London Handel Festival is an annual celebration of George Frederick Handel, um, and for four or five weeks every year, we have a concentration of Handel. We explore the lesser-known repertoire. So here in St John's Square on the 29th of April for the closing concert in the festival, we have Handel's Athaliah, which is a rarely performed oratorio, but fantastic. You know, all the stock Handelian characters are there. You've got a wicked queen and a, a young ingenue and a, a, an innocent child. You know, all these things, they're all there and fantastic um, melodies and choruses. Um, but what we're trying to do is, so this year's theme is Handel's Divas, so we're trying to create an insight, uh, a kind of a, a lens, if you like, to look at Handel's oeuvre, because we could just do lots of Handel every year, and you know, what difference is it from year to year? How have our, have our audiences kind of benefited? Or And very much the audiences of today don't just want to sit there. It's like Handel. He, he famously said, and Bridget alluded earlier on, he didn't want his audiences just to be entertained you know, we don't want our audiences. That's what he said. He, he wanted, wanted to make, to make them, them better. He wanted to yeah. make them better. And okay. 21st century audiences do not want to just sit there and listen to nice tunes. They want to have an insight into the composer, into the performers. And the, through the festival, through because in addition to the concerts, we have insight talks. We've got walks. Um, you know, um, we write detailed program notes that people can read um, while they're uh, enjoying the music. Um, we want to give them a real insight into, you know, handle the man. And in this particular case, the divas, it's about these amazing women in the 18th century who had very little freedom. If they if they didn't sing, they would have had no freedom at all. And singing gave them some freedom, some independence, um, because they could be independently wealthy and, and have a reputation of their own rather than being dependent on their husband or their family. And Handel, Handel's known for his cantankerous character 
and for losing his temper and being this kind of, you know, a grumpy German. But a very little known side to his character is actually his nurturing personality. And he nurtured, some of these women were quite young and quite unestablished and Handel sat with them and coached them and worked with them and they became stars. And Bridget, Bridget will know a lot more about this than me, but I'm always struck by the caring side of Handel's character, which is very little known. So, so just so that I understand, the the, the term uh, you said before I pressed the button, and then I stopped you from talking, so that we could carry on now. Um, that the term diva was a 19th century. Yes, term. yes, we use the term diva, but I'm going to hand over to Bridget. But now. we use the term diva in a in a different way now. Yes, it can have a negative connotation yes. today, but certainly Handel would not have known the word because at the time um, in, in opera companies you usually had two female singers, a prima donna and a seconda donna and then two male castrati as well. Um, but the term diva developed later, um, sort of 19th century opera and, and as you said today can have negative connotations perhaps implying that someone is demanding mm. um, this I mean certainly tales did go on some of the singers were demanding In, indeed one of the, one of his singers Kutzoni refused to sing one of his arias from Ottone because she said it wasn't elaborate enough while they were rehearsing at Brook Street which is actually where Samira and I met where he lived in London and Handel reportedly said you may think you're a she-devil but I am Beelzebub and threatened to throw her out of the window unless she sung it. So wow, that, that's some coaching technique. That's, yeah. that's, that's Handle one. Right, okay. So <laughs> but he that's intimidated the story, her. That's the story <laughs> that's, that's always saying. told, which is why he has yeah. this reputation. Oh, I see. Okay, right. Okay. But if I tell you a, a contrary story, was that Susanna Sibber, who was uh, an alto um, well, mezzo-soprano, who was his first alto soloist in Massar in Dublin, she couldn't read music when Handel met her. So he patiently sat with her and coached her so he, she could learn the arias. And she was a soloist? She was a soloist, yes. yeah. And wow. she was also, she'd left London under a dark cloud because she was accused of having an affair. So her reputation was besmirched. And as she, after she sang, he was despised. Famously, a churchman is supposed to have leapt to his feet and said, woman, for this thy sins are forgiven, which is the words that Jesus said to the woman mm. in adultery. So she was publicly rehabilitated. She came back to London. She's buried in Westminster Abbey. You know, wow. So, that was the, you know, the Reverend Delaney. Yes. That, and Handel mm. was instrumental in helping her reestablish herself. Definitely. What was his motivation? I think he just recognised her talent. I think Handel didn't have a side to him. And, you know, Apart from slightly losing it every now and then. Well, and I think that's when, when he didn't get his own way. But, uh, but you know, he recognised genuine talent. He didn't care where it came from. He, he wasn't one for social pretension. Um, and he just wanted to genuinely get the best out of people. Yeah, he certainly recognised high-caliber singers, which, you know, which many of them hailed from Italy at the time. So the ones from London were very special, like Anastasia Robinson, who I'm looking mm -hmm. at in the festival who was one of the only singers to perform for him in, in a major role before 1740, because they usually they were the Italians. The I have this idea that you know a lot of facts about Handel, that, you, that your life is sort of slightly intertwined with the history of Just Handel. Possibly a little bit. I'm, I'm bringing out a, a, a series of Handel travel CDs, um, capturing musical snapshots at moments in his life, on his, on his journey, his musical journey. And through that, I do the research. I spend a lot of time in libraries, pouring over manuscripts but it's wonderful seeing it all to come together from, from 
the score to the performance because I believe the word and the deed go together very much and it's important to understand the background to the music as well. Do you ever, as someone, I recognise that you sort of like to immerse yourself uh, and your career demands that you immerse yourself in in the life and works of Handel. Are there ever times where you just think, actually, you know what, I'm really bored of this, I just need a break of it, break from it? Never. I mean, as a conductor, I do conduct everything from Monteverdi to modern-day BBC commissions. But with Handel, you're always surprised. There's always something new. You might listen to the same piece in a completely new way. There might just be a chord or mm. a corner, a phrase, an inflection, which moves you and takes you somewhere else. Do you have any non-musician friends? I mean, you must do. I'm sure you must. Well, I'm making an assumption there. That's a good there. question. Um, yes, I do. I do. But we largely mix with musicians and singers because it's We're quite a big family uh, it's an Indian a, family it's quite an, uh, an unusual thing to hear that sort of that joy that enthusiasm around one particular subject where I've I've challenged you to say okay. well I right. think so because because I know that there are lots of things that I enjoy doing but after a yes. while I, if I do the same thing for seven days a week after a while I think actually I'm getting really bored of this I now. think it's <laughs> the, vari- the sheer variety yeah, as well yes, you you know, wrote operas oratorios cantatas sacred music there's something for everyone, you know, like the slogan on the T-shirt. There's, there's always the different emotions of love and bitterness, betrayal, jealousy, all the different. And how do you, given given that enthusiasm that you have for the subject, and and clearly your tirelessness and and your resilience, uh, how do you plan um, what you want to focus on as a performer or as a musicologist? You know, how do you plan out? It depends to be what, it, it, it usually is what deadlines you have coming up. So wh- whether I'm recording, I have to immerse myself in that. Or if it's a concert, so for the next London Handel Festival concert, I'm looking at the Royal Academy of Music, the 300th anniversary. And so I've been doing a lot of research on that particular subject for the last year. Right. Collating material and things. And when you talk of the Royal, about the Royal Academy of Music, you don't mean the college, you mean... An Another? I, d- I don't mean the, no, the, the okay. college today. I mean the opera company in the 18th century, which was founded 300 years ago, with Handel at the musical helm as master of the orchestra and King George I as a chief subscriber. He, he gave a £1,000 a year as an annual bounty. And it really was a very sophisticated opera company, putting on many operas ha- handle by Handel, Ariosti, Bonaccini, um, some very large works like Giulia Cesare and Ottone. Names that are completely new to me. I don't recognise those names at all. Often they're based on classical stories. You, you, you've heard the story. You, you mean the composers, mm. though, as well? Yes, yes. Well, because yes. they've kind of, um, they're lesser known. I mean, they mm. were famous at the time, but actually Handel's music is the music that's lasted because I think it's better quality. Right, but, okay. But some of these lesser composers are, get, are getting to be known. But I, I love the title yes. of your the concert that, that London Early Opera are doing, the Costi Canaries. Costi Canaries is yeah. a quote from John Mannering, who was Handel's first biographer, <laughs> and said, yes, yeah, the, cost, the Costi Canaries referring to the Italian singers, because Handel went to Italy and Dresden to find his Italian superstars of the day. Our concert's called um, Costi Canaries, Mr. Handel's Search for Superstars. And he, he, he went there and, and brought them back, but they were paid a lot more than English singers. So um, this caused all kinds of other tensions. What do you, what do you both think uh, Handel can lay claim to in our present day musical culture? 
I think it is that we, we've talked about it quite a lot, but maybe we haven't articulated it in that way. But I love the quality of inclusion in Handel's music. It is very accessible. Um, so anyone can kind of listen to it and enjoy it, even if they're just going to listen to it for 30 seconds, as they do with Lasha Kyukpanga on the Harrods advert. And just think, oh, that's a lovely wafty bit of classical music I just heard. Wafty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. But, um, but right up to, you know, these enormous performances of Messiah with several hundred voices. And there was a great tradition in the 19th century of, you know, staging the big Handel oratorios with enormous choruses. And, you know, it became a, a thing that, you know, people would go in groups together to, to join in this kind of thing. And and we, uh, there's been a wonderful, wonderfully, there's been a revival in choral singing in this country. There's always been an amazing tradition of, of singing in choirs in this country. And Handel has really been integral to that. Mm. I mean, with Messiah, um, he came up with the first great British, uh, Brit, Brit, sorry the first great oratorio in the english language mm. and it's now sung all over the world you know by people that don't have english as their first language even mm. um it was performed in calcutta in the 18th century indeed it yeah traveled uh, yeah wow very speedily and it has that universality about mm. it that people can can and it's with 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 other composers there's a universality because people think that's nice to listen to. But for me, the difference with Handel is that people actually take part. Yes. So if you know musical people, people that sing in choirs, they will have sung Messiah at some point in their life. There is a sense of occasion about it. So it is, it is, a, it is a work which, which forms part of an occasion and therefore forms part of people's individual traditions. Mm. Messiah just makes my makes my blood run cold. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But we are we are are promoting clearly we are promoting a very good festival and and that's maybe you need to listen to it in bite-sized chunks. I think different recordings. Because recording technique has changed so much. I think it's because of uh, you know, when I think about it, it's to do with early memories of being yes. a kid in a choir and Forced. having this very big yeah. novello school because they were orange. Yes, I think they were orange novello schools. They still are. are they? Are they still? <laughs> <laughs> some, you know, some, this is based in evidence. This this yes. anecdote, uh, and and it being a dusty sort of, I suppose, a bit like this, a bit dusty and a bit, you know, a bit. Um, what voice are you? Uh, I am a. Okay, so I invite, you, no, I, I invite you. I invite you to no. come <laughs> on the thirty-first of March. We have our own Come and Sing Messiah. Oh, We're doing five choruses, not the whole thing, five choruses with Lawrence Cummings, who is one of the most inspirational conductors right. in the okay. world and one of the, the leading Handelian conductors. I invite you to come as my guest. <laughs> really and if you guilty. still hate Messiah after that, <laughs> okay, fine, fine, because we've tried. But <laughs> if I would be astonished if you didn't come out of that church after singing that. Okay. Feeling as leaping if you're for joy. leaping for joy okay. and walking on air. The slightly awkward thing is, is that I'm actually at another festival on the 31st. <laughs> I try. So I, I think try. it's really... A, and that's not because we'll I don't... Keep know, I, it's, it's we'll keep in touch. It's not because I don't want to come. I'm in Monte Carlo on the oh. 31st. Uh, and there's some that's question drop, about whether, given, given what's about to happen on the 29th, whether I'll be able to get back or not. What about the 11th of April? 
the 11th of April is good. I'm good with the 11th of April. Yes. For is my musical happening, happening. My musical happening. Yeah. Right. You can't sing, St. unfortunately. <laughs> you can't take part, but you can revel in the beauty of the music. Absolutely. Uh, and where is that on the 11th of uh, April? St. George's, Hanover Square, Handel's very own church. Right. Okay. He lived in... Mayfair. In Brook Street, in number Brook 25. Street. That's the museum, isn't it, with the panel... Well, it's now a museum. It's mm. loads of panelled wood, mm. yes. stripped wood floors. Yes. Yes. And Hendrix with lived Hendrix. next door. Yes. The Hendrix. Yes. Jimmy Hendrix. Jimmy Hendrix oh, really? right next door. Oh, is yes. that why it's called Handel and Hendrix? Absolutely. Yes. Oh. Obviously, they didn't know each other. No, no. That Hendrix knew that Handel lived in the house, and he actually went out and bought an LP wow. uh, of Handel's music. But obviously, Handel had no idea that Jimi Hendrix would no. come and <laughs> move in. But did... Uh, well, now you've... I didn't expect to ask this. Did... At the point of moving in, did Jimi Hendrix know... I mean, was that a deciding factor? Not, not, not for him. No, but I think once right. he had no. moved in, he was told right. that Handel lived next door, and, wh- and, and he then he did actually go out and buy an LP. That much I do know. Because yeah. I, I used to work at Handel House many what, years ago. Where we so first met. That's where oh, we I met. see. <laughs> okay, what did you do at Handel House? I was doing all their fundraising and marketing. But that's oh. when I fell in love with Handel the man, if I'm allowed to say that. Yes, Before you are. Before I was in love with Handel's music, but I really got an insight into him as a man, um, a human being, and that's really where my journey. Of trying to find out more about this amazing human being started. When did you work in fundraising there, please? Uh, I need well, years, please. Oh, gosh, it was when the house opened, was it 2000? No, it was no. after the... Uh, no, goodness. Um, when was no, it? you're was asking Three me. or four years ago? No, 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 no. Uh, it's longer than that. Yes, 15 years ago. Oh, 15 years ago, okay, right. I've been there once, and I didn't... <laughs> I'm really showing my ignorance. I'm sorry. I went there and I didn't really, I didn't really twig. I went there for an event. It was a BBC event. And they were launching, I don't know, some music-related thing. And I stood in this really gorgeous blue wood-panelled room, and I wasn't really clear where I was or why I that was there. That was probably Handel's music. Uh, yes, 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 yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yes. And it's only now when I look at the pictures on the website, I think, oh, oh that's what it was. Yes. So you know, yes, you basically. Recording a podcast with a charlatan, I'm sorry. Uh, you said that you fell in love with Handel the Man when yes. you were there. Um, uh, what does that mean? What um, did because you discover? That, because up until that point, I knew the stereotype of Handel. I knew him as this cantankerous, grumpy man that probably ate and drank too much. I didn't know anything about and his philanthropy. And as a fundraiser, um, you know, Handel's, Handel... You know, Handel basically taught us how to do it. I mean, he, uh, his performances of Messiah for the Foundling Hospital, he was a governor of the Foundling Hospital, are where the 18th century equivalent of Live Aid, of getting the best talent together, putting on a really good gig and getting loads of people to come and raising money for a great cause. Um, and then he went on to write the Foundling Anthem specifically as a fundraising mechanism for the Foundling Hospital. And we performed that in the festival last year in the actual picture gallery at the Foundling Hospital, uh, Foundling Museum, sorry, and the Foundling Hospital is now gone, um, but the Foundling Museum is still there. And we had young musicians from King's College London. And it starts with this beautiful tenor solo, Blessed are they which, who considereth the poor, which considereth the poor. Yes. Yeah. And a young tenor from King's College Choir, who'd obviously never sung that piece before, stood up and sang it. And I was in tears because it was just, it's the transparency of Handel, this beautiful melody with this amazing message, Blessed are they which considereth the mm. poor, you know, directly have, from the Bible. We have to remember he worked with King's, but he also worked with the poor. And it was the same when he went to Ireland. Ireland had just suffered the most devastating great frost and then a, 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 an awful famine, which was, which was known as the year of slaughter in, in Irish. 
and he, he went there again for charitable reasons to help the country, which was a very low ebb. Did he keep diaries? Did Handel keep diaries? N- what, what, no, what sort of documentation did. do we have about him that was authored by him, apart from the music? Authored by him, very little. We have letters from Mrs Delaney, other colleagues of him, and as I mentioned before, John Mannering was the first biographer who probably got information of, about Handel through one of his copyists. But himself, it's very, very tricky, isn't letters, it? Because he, it, it very, he never married, and there's all kinds of rumours about his love life. But he was a deeply private man as well. And I think, I think, rather like a boy band today, these people are kind of encouraged by their agents and publicists not to date because that would disappoint whichever fans okay. they have of whichever gender he and had sexuality. That, he had that kind of following. Well, it, in terms it, of that, that, oh, that kind he, of level of popularity. Appeal. Yeah, I mean, when, when the castrati and the divas that Handel recruited arrived at Dover, there were masses of people waiting to greet them. And these were absolutely the X-factor winners of their yeah, day. The, you know, they're strictly the come-dancing the, the people. The football yeah. players. And Handel was very popular. I mean, you know, most people on the street would have heard of him and would know his music. But certainly in moving to Brook Street in Mayfair, he was doing a very canny thing because that's where a lot of the politicians and aristocrats and the movers of shakers, movers and shakers lived. And that was the, the most fashionable area. And did London. he do that before he was naturalised? Did he do that before yes, 1727? Yes, yeah, 1723 he moved to Brook Street. And he wanted to become a British citizen. He really did. He took the umlaut of his name. So he became, and he went from being Georg Friedrich Hindel to being George Frederick Handel. Wow. And he That's really embraced canny. this country he, much more than George I did, who barely could speak English. And I mean, do, we know, do, really do we know tried. why he, I mean, I understand, on some level, I understand why he did that, but is that because he was responding to a negative reaction of being a German in this country? As being a foreigner, was there, was there a level of xenophobia? That, that's kind of what I'm talking. There would have been a, a certain amount, and and there's so many parallels with today, especially mm. with you know whatever's going to ha- happen on March the 29th, mm. which is right in the middle of the London <laughs> Handel Festival. Um, Handel chose London. He could have gone to any capital city in in Europe, and and because he was already fated across Europe, he'd spent time travelling extensively in Germany and in Italy. Um, he was already Kapellmeister of the Court of Hanover when he decided to actually settle in London, but he chose London because London. London was a boom, boom town, economically very vibrant, lots of money. So Handel was very canny because he thought he thought the British, uh, he needed to nurture their appetite for Italian opera. And he, he succeeded in that in the 1720s with forming the Royal Academy of Music for, for Italian opera. Um, but he also loved the cosmopolitan quality of London. You know, London, the British Empire was just starting. Uh, all these people from all over the world were coming to London, you know, merchants, traders, all this kind of thing. And I think Handel, Handel spoke five languages. I think he really loved that side of London. And London still has that now. I mean, I think that's, we can still see that, though, those qualities that Handel appreciated in London. So and he was a quintessential Londoner, this is the thing. So he, in terms of his background, did he come from a moneyed family before he came to the UK? Uh, the UK, I'm sorry, before he came to London, did he, did he come from a moneyed background? Because uh, clearly he was very educated. Yes, he was educated. I wouldn't say no, heavily moneyed. Class, I'd yes. say middle, middle yeah. yes, in Haller. Modest. Yes, yes, quite quite modest. Um, but, he's, but he started off again training through the church and then went from Halle to Hamburg and 
worked his way up very carefully because we, we, we must remember he was a real master of reinvention and changed with the wind and somehow he just knew who to work for and which direction to yeah. to move his career forward in. And he is interesting. He was born in the same year as Bach and Scarlatti, yes. his two great 1685. contemporaries. But Bach was always in the employ of the church and never wrote any, well, never wrote any opera, certainly, and barely wrote any secular music, mainly wrote secular music. Scarlatti was in the employ of the court, and most composers that, 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 that in that era were either employed by the church or a court, an aristocratic court. Handel was neither. Handel was an independent. So I've made a mistake. I assumed that he came to this country because because uh, under the patronage of George I. No, no, no. He was actually he Queen was Anne, Queen Anne, Anne. Oh. which was Gave embarrassing him for him because he'd left Hadover and he'd left the Hadoverian court to come here. And then when Queen Anne died, he suddenly he had, had no to job. <laughs> or he, he suddenly had, had no to connection. work for the Hadoverian yeah. king who he'd departed from. And it's said that the water music, another famous Handelian piece, was basically Handel's apology to George the First. Oh, wow! And how did that go down? I mean, obviously, oh, very it well because, it yeah, because yeah, he yeah. asked for it to be played several times. Yes. Uh, which go down the river. Actually, that reminds me. Something that I know about you from my notes is that you have gone up and down the river on a boat in 2017 oh, is that yes, right yes that's right for the 300th anniversary of Handel's water music it didn't rain that day did it like it, it did for the academy rain. of it ancient music it didn't rain but um, we, we played movements of the water music without the harpsichord and the timpani as was written right as in, in, the, in the first um, the first version and we passed Vauxhall Pleasure Gardens of course where um, he lots of his music was performed regularly in the summers was it a slightly bizarre experience to be on a boat singing to, presumably you didn't have any audience, it was just all of you almost like doing a rehearsal on a boat? It was wonderful. We, we, we weren't singing, we, we, we say it was the, oh, sorry, the water yeah, music. Yeah, you, yes. we, we, were, we were playing, we had a, f- a few friends and friends around, um, and, and then we also had a new commission, a, a new BBC commission called River, written for us, so um, it, was, it was great fun. It went really well. Um, tell me about some of the highlights from the festival. What should I be, uh, given that I'm not here on the 31st, well, I'm not here between the 29th and the 31st. I'm there for the, I'm here for the the 11th. Tell me some others. Um, Well, just picking, um, to to really highlight the variety of what we do. So, um, obviously, Bridget's concert, Costly Canaries, um, at St. George's, Hanover Square. Um, We're making our debut at the Royal Opera House with Berenice, which hasn't been performed since Handel's Day uh, in that space. Um, Handel performed it four times in 1737 and then actually had a stroke and we're doing it eight times so I think Handel would be very pleased Mm. that we're doubling his run for him. Sorry to interrupt you because I know I said highlights but actually just tell me about the connection between Handel and essentially Covent Garden please. uh, Absolutely. Because I read a bit about this and then thought no just ask ask Bridget. He he set up initially at the King's Theatre with the Royal Academy of Music and, and this financially failed and he set up a, a second academy and at this point it, things weren't working out so he moved to Covent Garden where Berenice and even oratorios like Athalia and other works were put on with singers like Strada del Po other superstars of the day. Uh, so, so by Covent Garden you mean where the, the site of the it's Royal on the Opera site. House on the site but not the same the building? Not the same building. Right. 
Sorry, I've interrupted you. So we must go back to Highlands. So, so that, so that, so Berenice starts the festival, um, and we finish the festival here at St John's Square with with Athalia, a wonderful Athalia, uh, Anna Devon, uh, Irish soprano, who was a finalist in our Handel singing competition, um, and backed up by a very able cast and Lawrence Cummings, London Handel Orchestra and London Handel Singers. So it's fantastic way to close the festival and really everything in between we've got guided walks we've got alice coot doing an amazing insight talk um before um one of our concerts featuring alumni of the singing competition and alice coot's going to be talking about her experience of doing trouser roles as we call them playing men on trouser, stage, oh, I see. playing right, men trouser. on stage and playing yes. women on stage and mm-hmm. the kind of difference differences um we have uh, we're going to peckham we're taking handle to peckham we're working with festival voices in handle remixed which is dixit dominus and yes. electronica with what, a dj what time is it what, what day That's, is that um, on please is that on the, t- it's it's on the, the day after okay. Bridget's concert? Yeah. So actually, yes. I live in Lewisham, so I can come to that. Fantastic. So is yeah. that at the car park? Uh, uh, the village in, Underground. In, uh, okay. No, sorry, that's a mistake. Um, it's the Bussy Building in Peckham, yes, okay. which is part yes, yeah, of that yeah. um, multi-storey uh, yeah. complex. Um, and then, really, um, and we we have our Handel Singing Competition. I would like to talk about that. Um, our Come and Sing Massar on the 31st of March. Uh, we've got his rarely performed Aci Galatea e Polifemo, which which is a, a, a serenata he wrote when he was in Naples, and that's at the Wigmore Hall. Um, a, a wonderful French group, Le Conseil de l'Hostel Dieu, coming with an Italian mezzo, Giuseppe Nabridelli, um, uh, and they're contrasting Handel with Porpora, who is one of these Italian composers that was in London at the same time, and uh, and they were, had rival opera companies. Um, we've got beautiful concert of Shandos anthems at the church where Handel resided, sorry, on the estate where Handel resided when he was employed by the Duke of Shandos, uh, St. Lawrence Little Stanmore, um, and... Uh, a wonderful uh, Bridget's exploring the Handel divas. She's got three divas. We're looking at another two, the famous Italian divas of um, Faustina and Quizzoni, um, who are supposed to be great rivals on stage, and they f- um, famously had this fight on stage, um, which was all kind of manufactured. It, it was it fake, did, oh, it didn't fake happen. news. Oh no! Um, did it? News. Did it sort of happen, or did it just not happen at all? It, it was the audience being partisan to a, a particular singer and were catcalling and hissing in in the presence of princess caroline oh, this Lord. this actually caused you know caused a halt to a performance but it wasn't the reason that the royal academy of music failed that was okay. purely fin- financial and also george the first died five days later so this closed all the theaters in the summer of 1727 uh, what are you most looking forward to I know that's a rotten thing to ask people who are about your your events. <laughs> <laughs> you're 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 looking forward to them. What are you particularly looking forward to about them? About the eleventh of April, mm. um, I've I've been doing a, a lot of research recently on the divas because I've just recorded Handel's Queens. It's a new double CD for Signum Records, and so I've been looking at all the the singers and the way he writes for the particular voices, because because again they're often stereotyped, and pe- and and people think and and even in the original 18th century press, that perhaps Kutzoni sang with pathos and Bordoni was great at coloratura. But in fact, these singers were great at everything and Handel knew that and he wrote very cleverly for their voices, putting in many different techniques of martellato and, as I mentioned, coloratura, coming in at difficult moments, leaps. 
It's very, very so exciting he was writing. writing uh, he was, so he was writing these things for particular individuals, some of, some of whom were, were not musically trained. These singers were, were, were trained, and he trained them. He right, okay. Also, he trained them as well. Okay. But in the case of, I mentioned Susanna Sibber before, who couldn't she's, read music. She was actually primarily an actress, but Handel recognised her musical ability, her, her, the, the, the potential, and then worked with her in order to help her train her voice. So people often said that she didn't have as beautiful a voice as other singers, but she had a way of reaching the heart, you know, that was other he, didn't have. Uh, he was obviously a philanthropist, a fantastic fundraiser. Uh, was he making money for himself? Yes, he he was very wealthy, but but, but at this point, in fact, the Italian singers were earning more than him. Yes, which was which was quite unusual. During but the he was always so generous, wasn't he? His very house generous. was always the Brook Street home was always full of people. You know, uh, he was constantly um, whining and dining. His patrons, yes, but these people were also his friends. And he you was clearly love him, don't yeah, you? Yeah, I can tell. Just from <laughs> just you know, if any if anybody pokes you and says no 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 no, actually you're, you're the bad one. Luck. You're the <laughs> Now I really misjudged that. Because I'm a lay person as well. It's yes. not, I'm, I'm not a great academic or musician like Bridget. But if I can appreciate him for what everything that he did. I mean, his, I was invited to the Halle Festival, which is the festival where he was born. And as usual, Germany, everything is... The cultural activity is so much better funded by mm. the state mm. than it is, sadly, in this country. And in Halle, they've got a massive statue of Handel on the main town square. They've got a loudspeakers pumping out the Hallelujah chorus at you at every street corner. You cannot, you fall over Handel at every. every mm. How do they? How do they see Handel, or how do they contextualise Handel in Germany in Halle? Is it? Is it that he's he's a German abroad? Because well, because we we think of Handel as you know he's British, British yeah, yeah, but yeah, actually yeah, yeah. he's German. Yeah, yeah, no, of course he was born there. <laughs> yeah. And so, the, but do they see? Is the reverse the case there? Do they see him the, as the mayor of Halle said a very moving thing to me because um, he said he when we were looking at the statue of Handel, he said we in Halle we say he's looking towards in the direction where he was born, but I say he's looking to London and his future. So that is the mayor of Halle that said that to me. Maybe he magnanimous. was just trying to be charming to me, but <laughs> yes, I was really yeah. moved by that. Yeah. Can um, I talk about my highlight? Oh, I'm ter- terribly sorry. <laughs> I mean, aside from the overlooked. 11th of April, of course. You seem to have overlooked your um, highlight. Sorry, um, but yeah. There's so many highlights, but I just wanted <laughs> to say the Handel singing competition uh, is something I, I get very excited about and look forward to every year. Um, so the singing competition has been running since 2002, and we've really got form now. The past winners have included uh, people like Yeston Davis and Lucy Crow. So, you know, backing a winning horse here. Um, and this <laughs> He's year... He's quite good, Yeston. Yeah. This, this, year, this year, we... Um, We've had 170 people apply, oh which Lord. is a record number for us from 25 countries, uh, from everywhere from Argentina to Australia. Wow. So I'm really excited about how that is going to create our 12 semi-finalists. And how are you selecting them? How, is this via video, um, well, audio? Well, they can, they can send in um, high-quality video or audio links, um, but this very week, 
um, the majority of them are turning up to Craxton Studios in North London and being and they they have their their audition. It's all Handel. They can only sing Handel, and they're they're put in front of an expert jury. And in fact, the um, jury for the final would include Jane Glover, who's just written this amazing oh. book, which you have to read. You'll be okay. converted to okay. Handel okay. by reading Jane. Glover's I did book. once work with Jane Glover um, on uh, what I now realise was a very early performance of Purcell's Fairy Queen with the Britain Pears Orchestra in. Britain Pears Baroque Orchestra in 1996. I think oh, it was relatively... What's your instrument then? Uh, well, no, I'm a clarinetist, oh, but okay, I worked yeah. as an orchestral manager at the time. And she well, that's why you don't like Handel, because he never wrote for the clarinet. Well, that's one of Because it didn't exist. It's <laughs> 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 the Chalamot. Yeah. Yeah, OK, fair enough. I see if what you're doing. If you were a Chalamot player, maybe yeah, you would like yeah, Handel. Yeah, you're very good at sales, Samir. <laughs> you're very good at sales. Um, uh, how do we get on to that? You were talking Jane about Jane Glover, Glover yes. and I can Britain Piers Orchestra. Britain Piers Orchestra, but let's not talk about that anymore. Yeah. Um, so there are 150 applicants. 170. And 170 applicants. Yes. Uh, but I'm, I'm really excited about the fact that we are now seen as the go-to um, Baroque singing competition, um, certainly Handel, um, and having this international quality and everyone, because, you know, when we first started, it was largely a British affair. And if you look at all the past winners in the first decade or so, lots of British names and creating a very British sound, you know, fine. But, you know, with a more international element to this, it means that they're bringing their colours and their cultures and, and bringing that quality to Handel. And it just keeps Handel fresh. You've been listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast, available on Spotify, iTunes and Audioboom. To get in touch, tweet at Thoroughly Good, leave a message on the Thoroughly Good Facebook page, or email john.jacob at thoroughlygood.me.